0: Straight from the cockpit It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe With the fucking pilot Ready, set, go All right, back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. I've got an in-person victim here. Uh, We're on the the tail end of the lockdown, so I actually get to bring people into the studio now, which makes it a lot more fun. So uh, let's just dive on in. Uh, Who the fuck are you?
1: What do you do? Hey, um, I'm Anse Hansen uh, from New Zealand, and I'm an extreme sports photographer, travel filmmaker, and um, skydiver.
0: Awesome. Awesome. A Kiwi, first off. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm fond of kiwis. I got to spend a little bit of time that way.
1: There's a few of them hanging around. One or part. two,
0: one or two. <laughs> I'm guessing you probably know most of them.
1: Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. There's, um, you know, one of the reasons why I came to the Middle East was because there was a good, good rep from the kiwis that were based here. And oh, nice. And yeah, it was good. Had nice. my friends straight away.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Now, how did you? I mean, that's a pretty specific side of photography. Uh, how did you get into extreme photography? I mean, you got to put yourself in some pretty rough situations to get the shots. I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, it it all started like I was a a young um, a young. St- commercial photographer Mm. um when i left school i left school really early um just on my 16th birthday oh okay and started in a studio straight away and um i always saw um skydiving or parachute the um new zealand air force Mm. throwing people out of an andover round parachutes back in back in the 80s nice and i always looked across and went wow that's uh that's kind of a cool thing to do get a t-shirt and do that once sure and so um uh, that was always a goal when I was 12 years old to go, hey, when, I, when I'm when i 15 and I'm old enough, I want to do, I just want to do the jump and do a t-shirt. Mm. So I've done it anyway, German class, two nice students said, hey, we're going to go and do our first jump course. Do you want to come? And mm. I was like, oh, you're very cute. Uh, yeah, I'll come. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. And I'd seen this parachuting from my uh, balcony um, at Whenua in New Zealand and Auckland and so i was like oh yeah i'll go along so two nights of training tuesday thursday through the air force through their um their parachute training unit okay and um saturday came and it was crap weather and the girls didn't turn up and it's (laughs) right i was like fuck so i did it anyway i thought i've done this i've paid the 150 bucks i've gotta gotta give it a go and so i did the um, went out on the saturday for saturday morning training of course it was really windy And this was 1984, and um, so it was put off, put off, and then two weeks later it was the first of April, and that was jump day. Wow! And so that was my <laughs> first jump, around uh, parachute, I think. Uh, On T-10 April Fool's or Day or something. April Fool's Day. Awesome. Girls didn't turn up, and um, I did, and that was it. My parents shouted me McDonald's afterwards as a celebration. Nice. And it was like, oh, wicked. Nice. And uh, loved the exit. Loved the uh, the canopy ride. Hated the fuck out of the landing. Yeah. It was horrible. I can imagine. And um, so I did three jumps. I think I did a bit of damage on the third one and went, hey, I've got the T-shirt. That's it. I'm done. You right. know, this round parachute stuff is shit. Right. And so um, anyway, I was on Monday to Fridays, I was a photographer. And then friends said their family were starting a drop zone in New Zealand, which was the first um, – Non club drop zone Parakai Parachute Centre, and um, they wanted some students to booster uh, boost their numbers. Sure. would I be keen? I was like, nah, I've done it. You know, oh, they've got those square parachutes, and I was like, Oh, wicked! I tried to flare my round one. I thought they were really cool. Right, and so uh, I was like, Yeah, I'll do the. I'll come along and do it. So Tuesday Thursday night again, jump on Saturday, and um, once again, I just wanted to try the square parachute. I had no goals of right, you know, skydiving. And so I finished, went to, we, we went to Matter, Matter and jumped out of 182. Hmm. And um, I had a premature um, on the climb up. Jesus. Because I think the jump master was a bit excited and he sort of, All right. and now looking back, I know he really fucked up. But, right. Um, came down, then back up. And I then the next time it was like, hey, you can do another jump, 35 bucks. And I was like, that's gear higher and stuff. And I was like, shit, yeah, I'm here. I'll do it. Yeah. I want to yeah. just do another one. Next one was a DRP because I'd already done a couple. And then before I knew it, I was like, oh, I want to do my first activation. Then right. I want to do a five second delay. Then I to 10 second delay. No such thing as AFF or tandems. Right. And so that was it. But um, I never wanted to mix my photography with um, skydiving. Hmm. I wanted to keep my Monday to Friday. This commercial was photographing lettuces, people. Sure. Dead fruit, whatever. (laughs) Um, And on the weekends, I'd skydive. And then winter came along, and on weekends, I'd ski. So I never crossed over until I started seeing other people's photography, and I was like, I think I can do better than that. Sure,
0: sure. Well, it's because most of the people were like me. I got into skydiving, and the only reason that I ever picked up a camera was because it was the first, easiest, and most available way for me to turn a buck in the sport. Uh, So at obscenely low jump numbers, I had a camera helmet with a Canon lawn to the top of my head and and a Hi8 video camera, uh, neither of which I knew how to use on the ground. I set the focus to infinity on the Canon, jumped out, pushed the button, and looked at whatever I was... That, that was it uh so my introduction was completely backwards i was the the skydiver that only used a camera to turn a
1: buck yeah and i think that's what happens people go oh no one wants to jump with me i know i'll jump camera yeah and for me it wasn't like that i wanted to like uh, i came into skydiving in new zealand at a really fortunate time mm. there was um um you know there's the old washover from the 70s and 80s of big baggy suits and there was a four-way team in new zealand called vertigo and it was um Uh, gyro Mm. graham taylor jenny millington and craig stevenson and they were traveling a lot and they're doing really good four-way um for new zealand slack suits and Mm. you know ripstop and everything was like quite compared to other people in the drop zone it was quite cool and um so i saw that as the standard straight away i didn't come through Mm. sort of um you know wayward wayward lessons i had some really cool role, role models around me for skydiving so anyway, I, I came through and I wanted to be, I never wanted to pick up my camera on the drop zone because it was like Monday to Friday, I'm carrying a camera. On the weekend, right. what builder goes to the drop zone and wants to build the drop zone, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. So it was like kind of, um, kept it really separate until one day um, I started shooting, I was testing a camera and I was like, I came around the drop zone. Anyway, um, I won some awards for some photography and then got noticed and they said, we're just starting it, this is... 1990 starting a drop zone in queenstown a mm. tandem operation it was the first uh full-time tandem operation in australasia and um they said do you want to come and jump camera and i was like mm. <laughs> actually yeah fuck yeah sure <laughs> it sure. sounds like a really good idea so there's three of us a 206 the owner of the drop zone one of the owners of the drop zone another guy who works for new zealand aerosports now jamie cardo and there was me and um that was that was my first full-time uh full-time job as a as a f- uh, camera flyer sure and also the first uh, professional camera flyer in australasia everyone had done it on the weekends and clubs right but, um this was the first uh, professional drop zone so my claim was hey i'm the first that's awesome first professional camera flyer in australasia and um i, lo- I love filming tandems and i always saw it and it was an early stage of tandems ted strong had come to new zealand in 88 mm. and he'd taken He'd taken some skydivers doing tandem um, instruction um, courses. He was rating instructors like Al Romaine and a few others right. um, that wanted to be tandem. And once again, I thought those tandem instructors were like camera flyers or camera people on the weekend jumping cameras. Sure. People who didn't want to jump with them, they'd go, oh, i right. take. Right, right. So probably attracted some not healthy uh, <laughs> healthy uh, people because, you know, they weren't getting a lot of air time. And they thought, hey, well, taking someone was a way of jumping with people. So right. fuck that. <laughs> so um, I never uh, – the amount of tandems I'd seen, I just wanted to fly camera. And that was my, that was my priority. Mm. It was like um, – it was film um, sure. still, and um, everything was, like, trying to hone the perfect storytelling sure. from uh, gearing up to the plane ride to in the door, the exit, the drogue release, the, um, you know, the wide shot of the scenery in Queenstown spectacular. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you've got this huge lake, mountains coming up 6,500 feet beside you that you're jumping down in front of. Hmm. And so scenery-wise, it's spectacular. Oh, yeah. Stuff to but be. But also, you know... I, I was a manual shooter. Everything was on manual. I'd look out of the plane. My Olympus OM-1N was on my head. Mm. pro helmet, looking out, going, ooh, bit of cloud. I might have to shut down or open <laughs> up a bit. So I'd reach up and click round half a click or something to right. to expose. So that was my start in extreme, extreme uh, photography, I guess. Nice. But then I crossed over into winter sports because, you know, skydiving isn't really busy in winter. So, right. Um, I became a qualified ski instructor, and but also started filming skiing mm. um, with the same passion of filming skydiving. Nice. So cross between the two, and so summers I'd be uh, jumping out of planes, and then winters I'd be instructing and oh, that's, filming. That's epic. Now, what and was
0: the What was the name of the guy that did the the um Warren something or other did the Warren wedding. Miller yeah, yeah now so he was
1: a real role model so it's for me Warren Miller and skiing and there was Norm Kent and Patrick Pass sure. in, in uh filmmaking so I always saw that stuff and went wow so I started doing more still shots still shots that was my thing I never was like I jumped video with a VHS compact video recorder on my front <laughs> with that right. for the nationals or something that was heavy right. cabled huge big you know thing cut into a Protec helmet on your on your head, mm-hmm. you know, it's ugly. So I didn't see the attraction of jumping video mm. until um, high eight super uh, sure. super VHS compact came along and high eight came along. And it was like oh, all of a sudden the tape is in the camera. Wow, well, right? That's might catch on. Yeah,
0: and that's about when I started shooting. Was when high eight was all the rage. And I remember, of course, having to gaff tape your camera because you'd get the tape fluttered and yeah, and it's all like, the the shit that none of the jumpers now know anything about.
1: <laughs> well, that's it, and it's just like um, actually setting up the shot. You know, it's not like about like now. What I notice in in a lot of sports, not just skydiving, a lot of extreme sports, people can tape a camera onto their Body, mm. And they can capture the stuff because it's just happening around them. They're not necessarily skiing the camera or flying the camera right. into the position. They just just happen to be um, randomly catching shit. Sure, sure. You know, my, my focus has always been on setting up or doing the shot. I've oh, already yeah. got the picture in my head of what it needs to happen. Now, with a tandem, it's a great base to practice, you know, because it's once that drogues out. <laughs> but you can mix it up, and it's not just about... It's not about your own flying. It's no. about it's about making pictures.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, I remember seeing a video of myself shooting video. I had a buddy of mine shoot outside video of me just shooting a video of a tandem. And you don't think about how you're flying when you're shooting a tandem video. All you're thinking about is the shot. I need to be here for this. I need to go there for that. Uh, I, you know, whatever it is you want to produce for that that particular image. And then we watch the video backwards, and I was just slack jawed. Horrified at what I looked like flying, because I looked like a fucking moron. You know, one arm here, one back there, foot twisted this way, kind of sideways. But my video is rock solid and exactly where I want to be. But I look like I'm having a seizure. Yeah,
1: I think that's the important part as well. And you'll get that an in interesting exit. Doesn't matter if you're exiting behind a sixteen thirty way or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or uh, an AFF. Uh, AFF can go pretty wild sometimes, um, depending what you're, <laughs> yeah, what you're doing. Can. So you know, it's it's pretty interesting. But um, it's being adaptable, but always your your head is the most stable part of the whole scenario, exactly. And everything flails around it, but it's also compensating around it. Sure. And so it's it's got to be intuitive. You can't be flying a camera if you if you're not happy. No. With what you're up to.
0: No, you can't be thinking about body position and so trying to get the shots. With
1: the with that it sort of got a bit of a reputation for filming, and then there would be um, there'd be, what was it like um. Some agencies would turn up and want something filmed in free fall, of mm. course, and that w- we'd be rigged up, or I'd be rigged up with some old World War II gun camera <laughs> on top that would be spewing film, and that was right. hideous because you'd never uh, jump it, it was, didn't fit, and it was really heavy but they had this vision of what they wanted but the reality of what you could actually film in for was another thing. Right. So New Zealand, it sort of it was great for skydiving for me it was a it was a perfect base to really launch into. Sure. Um sort of extreme sport and especially Queenstown because you know it was the home of bungee jumping. Right. It's, it's a yeah. And it's, it's, Hackett. That started at the same time as us in um, in Queenstown. Oh, wow. uh, 89.
0: Yeah, I mean, Queenstown is kind of world famous for extreme sports in that kind of genre.
1: It is now. And back then, there was only a handful of us doing it. How cool and, is that? Um, well, you know, you'd know everyone. We'd have a, we were in the parapoint Club. We'd go down and get special deals on Guinness <laughs> afterwards with the Paraponters. Awesome. And um, it was a good little community, you know. In the summer, there's rafting, mountain biking, climbing, winter snowboarding, skiing. Well, in a place like that. And it's, and so it attracts like people. Sure. And, you know, if we meet people in a the city, they'll go, you're a freak. You jump out of planes. But in Queensland, it's normal. Sure. You know, it's like, oh, he's an extreme uh, mountaineer or he's just summited. Everest, or he's, um, you know, Raft Guide, or he's, you know, sure. so there's all these people that are passionate about something that they're into.
0: Right. Well, and it's, I mean, I suppose it's akin to meeting a, a ski instructor in Vail, of course. You know, I mean, other people might think you're nuts for doing that for a living or that lifestyle, but in Vail, it's just another ski it's instructor. It's a
1: business. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I started shooting more motion, and then I loved traveling. Um, I, I ended up um, breaking my back um, skiing. I'd, I'd already... Um, Oh, the season before, I'd broke my tailbone skiing, Jesus. skiing off a cliff accidentally. Well, um, I mean, if Bono and Kennedy are any... Uh, <laughs> so that was that was a little bit mishap. I mean, you know, um, that that kind of put me in hospital for seven weeks. And I came out and I, I met this Canadian girl, and she was going to France, and I thought that was a bloody good idea. So I jumped on a flight and went to France via two months in Thailand, Thailand rehab. Ooh, there you go. Got, As to, got to Europe and started filming more ski stuff and... Um, so I had crossed over from skydiving to snow and mm. um there was there was huge business for me in Europe, um, filming uh, luxury resorts, ski resorts, accommodation, and then the extreme part of the skiing part. Sure. So I did that and then in the summers I'd skydive and then ended up in Ampuria Brava. And okay. um by accident really, I got to, down to um I'd finished a ski season in um Cromontana instructing there. And it was a bit of a shit season, no snow, no money couldn't really afford to fly back to New Zealand mm. you know it's a one-way ticket to Europe <laughs> I had to make my money to get back <laughs> all right the next minute it's like I'm heading down to Barcelona on a long train ride from from uh, Spain uh, from France sorry I got there and um, I was meeting up with a new operation um, setting up a 182 mm. and um, yeah it didn't turn up so we ended up doing a lot of groundwork getting this um, tandem operation. Started sure. in AFF tandems, just out of a 182, a couple of us, the owner and me. Anyway, the first day it came in uh, to take off in uh, Castillon it was. Um, the pilot came and landed hot, powered up to take off, or to, to drop the first load. Right. And I was remembering, I was watching the World 500 GP motorcycle race in the container office. Mm. Looking out and going, wow, the first load, we're underway, the drop zones all go. Right. 182 comes in, it's a bit hot, and it's like, oh, you need to go around. <laughs> he climbs out, but turns on the climb out straight away because he didn't want to go over the houses at the end of the threshold. Next minute, he's stalling into a motorized glider and a 172 on the ground right beside a fuel tank. So oh, it's like kind of. Uh, that was that was ugly, and I kind of saw my job go up, you know. With that, In smoke. there was all of a sudden <laughs> shit. So we sprinted out, over pulled him out, and he luckily just broke a couple of ribs. But the um, one eight two was on its nose, fuel all over the tarmac. It was pretty ugly. Oof. So we pulled him out, and then I just remember this guy Scott, who was on the Spanish eightway team. He goes, "Shit, I'm gonna I'm gonna ring the guys, the president of the Spanish Skydiving Federation. I'll let him know." And so he goes, hey, there's this Kiwi camera flyer here who needs a job. And um, (laughs) and Ivan, who ran the skydiving at Emporio Brava, then said, um, he was one of the owners, said, send him up and we'll see what he's up to. So I jumped on a train the next morning, seven hours to Emporio Brava, got off, and there's all these people sit flying and swooping and... It was just like i'd seen in the movies mm. uh, from wings came flight there i was and i was like there's no way i ever thought i'd be working in amporia brava sure or let alone visiting amporia brava right right so I rocked up there and um bruno broken was off to the world meet with marco manor and they needed a camp someone to replace him and now there's a lot of instructors sitting around going yeah i'm gonna i'll fly a camera but there's no camera <laughs> flies <laughs> right, so they right. looked at my showroom and went when do you want to start so that's when I started um, jumping at Emporia. And that wow. was amazing because it was like like here. You know, the, the the mix of people that turn up to jump is insane. Yeah. You know, you get, you get from free flying to – and free flying was really new then. It was sit flying mainly then. And it was 96, 97. Which
0: is when I got started, and, and that was uh, uh, when places like Paris Valley and Eloy were going off, and my heroes were, you know, obviously – the big fly boy. boys <laughs> yeah of course you know i mean fritz and and mike and and eli um, clowns uh, and- yeah i knew them and jumped with them and and had met olav and and uh, omar was they were heroes you know i was watching their chronicles videos which were the greatest fucking things ever at the time of doing all the shit that i daydreamed of and the next thing you know holy shit that's omar sitting across from me on the load so same kind of thing too you're just in just in awe.
1: Oh it's God. amazing, and then you start jumping with them, and it's um and because I I was really saying yes to any sort of form of skydiving to film, and mm. I was I was focusing just on filming, um it was it was amazing, mm. and um it, plus the difference with New Zealand, New Zealand's drop zones are focused just on tandem. Sure, it's like a meat factory of it's it's bores it the fuck out of you. You know, it's like as a skydiver, <laughs> um it's you don't have chance to recover. You, it's just Sure. same 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 and drop zones are like an emporia. you were uh, mixing it up with coaching aff tandems camera flying sure um, sk- load organizing skydive view whatever it might have been there was a real mixture of of uh, interesting work as sure a skydiver For- And so that was good and plus there's a location it's amazing of oh, course yeah. with uh, i guess it's like in the middle east with so many different nationalities. Of course, there's politics sometimes with that, but you know, yeah, everybody comes back to the same thing. They all love skydiving and flying. Of
0: course. Well, and speaking of uh, New Zealand, I, I know for anybody that uh, their skydiving career started there, it would be it, it would get pretty burned out pretty quick. But uh, a lot of us Americans, um, when you hit that point where you had enough experience to try and travel a little bit, it was the greatest thing in the world to be able to spend summers in the states and then piss off to New Zealand and check drugs there. So I went and worked. For uh, uh, Davy and Kelly and Ballistic Blondes, landing oh uh, wicked
1: with ropeine and uh,
0: yeah, and landing on the beach in Pahia. Um So I went there to jump over a beach and get
1: laid a lot. It was uh, it's beautiful oh, there, it's it Wonderful. Other part of my family lived there. Oh, and, um, stunning! It's 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 a second home for me, and it's beautiful. And it's like. Um, yeah, it's really laid back. The oh, ocean's yeah. beautiful. The food's really nice. The soil's really nice. The people are laid back. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like New Zealand's version of Hawaii.
0: Well, one of my favorite things about the, about the country in general and that town specifically is I, I became a really good friends with a woman by the name of Paitangi, who is um, one of the elders for the tribe that's there. And uh, uh, I was getting ready to do the Russell to Paihia swim. Um, I didn't even know that was going on, and I was a distance, open water swimmer at the time. And uh, um, somebody told me uh, that this woman does the swim as well. And I look over and I see this beautiful Maori woman with the full mocha on her chin and intimidating. If you're you know, a Northern California guy, you're like, oh shit, she looks pretty tough so I walk over, but I start the conversation saying, hey, I hear you're going to be doing this swim. I'm going to be doing it well. It's super sweet. She says, oh, absolutely. That's going to be great. Have you started training? And I'm like, I'm just waiting for my wetsuit to show up so I can start to train. And she flips a switch and goes, don't be a fucking pussy. Get in the water. <laughs> and I went, I think I love you. <laughs> You're amazing. It's not that cold. It's like... but to somebody like me it was it was cold and she's like no, no let's go swimming. So between uh, training for the swim with her and and uh, um, enjoying that town and then jumping over it and landing on the beach and and walking in board shorts dripping wet to the supermarket across the street to shop while you're still s- soaking wet from the swim and, and
1: it's okay. Uh, oh, it's an amazing. Yeah, it's place. laid back it's a beautiful place and yeah, um, yeah the people so, the for me, the, the you
0: yeah, the just chucking the drugs was my break from the reality of work back in the States. So, that part of it was fantastic for me. But it wasn't like in Peria where you're able to kind of trade, trade hats out all the time, which has got to be really
1: nice. Yeah. For me, it was like a, um, when there was no camera flying, I was um, working in Manifest a lot, especially for the boogies. So, you know, there was 600 something skydivers there and six mm. turbines to run with two minute drop intervals. It was pretty chaos. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Um, for their Christmas boogie, but um, yeah, so that was that was one thing. And then um, I met up with Juan Ventura Sanchez. He was a local, uh, local skydiver, and um, he was training to um, fly a sky sky surf um, mm. board. And he wanted me to come and jump camera. And I was like, Oh fuck yeah, I'll give it a go. That looks nice. like insane. So we we started um, training together um, for the world meet in uh, Turkey, World Air Games. And um, that was insane. It's like uh, I learned so much um, following a, a sky surf. And it's extreme. Uh, Juan on the X Games, he had the largest, um, longest board. It was like about two meters. It was insane. He's tall. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, I think. Sure. And he's a pilot now in um, in Qatar, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, flying flying jump planes and um, anyway it was it was amazing Um, and I started doing more and more more video I had invested in this little Sony PC7 I think it was which was quite amazing because it was small oh yeah and so I was using that for skiing and I I wanted it set up for Emporia it's pretty epic so uh, it was it was amazing and so I've mounted a uh, canoe cracker from uh, was it clowns oh no uh, flyboys yeah yeah yeah, he was like, I had the, just bought this Kevlar helmet. And I remember him in beers when I like, was get the fuck rid of that Kevlar, that, that helmet and get a gas helmet just low. It's like sell it while you can still get 500 bucks for that helmet. All right, right. And so I kind of um, I got this um, this helmet set up and it was amazing. It was like I was just, that, like the um, the camera was drilled to the side of my head. Right. It was low, it was small, it was kind of like pre pre gopro but really good quality sure it, it was really nice anyway um we we just just had a ball just jumping and um oh yeah and well. then in, that was that was more and more and more motion so i just concentrate on motion and editing i learned how to um edit manually edit when i was a, uh, i was making ski films in the north island on mount ropehu mm. in 89 88 89 before i shifted to queenstown and that taught me basically how to edit um, sure. with tape to tape and stuff, and mixing in your CD through a mixer. That's and, the old stuff. And oh. then I kind of I took that into skydiving and tandem skydiving with how I produce um, produce videos and sure. stuff. Sure. But um, yeah, it was it was it happened fast. And then uh, Red Bull one uh, did a deal with Red Bull that was wanting to get into Spain. And this was uh, Red Bull was illegal in some of the places like France at that stage, mm. and they wanted to get exposure for it. So. Um, we we got a deal where we were getting a pallet of Red Bull a month, and we were selling it to nightclubs in Amporia, <laughs> um because uh, Red Bull said you sell it, make the money. and um, right. We were selling it for I don't know cheaper than they could get from Red Bull. Mm. We were promoting it, and then we were also using that money for training. And um, that was our we were the first Red Bull sponsored athletes in Spain, That's and awesome. uh, that was in '97. So the, awesome. that was crazy. And then the Spanish four way team snuck in on the deal and. <laughs> The rest, I don't know, but yeah, that was crazy, and then um, that, that kind of led to more TV stuff. Mm. Anyway, uh, long story short, I met this woman, dragged back to New Zealand, got married, and um, and started um, my own TV show back in New Zealand, but oh, nice. all based on extreme sports. And, um,
0: and what a place for it, because not just uh, Queenstown, but New Zealand has become almost synonymous with every different type of extreme sport you can think of.
1: Yeah, and, it, and like you said before, like why you went to New Zealand, it's it's inverse season. So it's a real melting pot of um, internationals coming down off season. And it doesn't matter if you're a skier or a skydiver. We, you know, in the ski industry, is, uh, I've done uh, 39 seasons working in winter. Wow. Um, and that's that's a lot of winter. You know, and a lot of back-to-back, France, New Zealand, France, New Zealand, because it's winter, winter. Sure. But 39 seasons of it as a professional skier um, and, and snowboard a bit. We won't talk about that because it's, <laughs> it's not my better days. Right. And um, and you know when you're skiing with a camera, it's far easier to ski with a camera uh, than snowboard with a camera. Mm. Snowboarding with a camera, you're always on your knees. You've got one side you can film on. But I'm um, skiing and filming handheld sure. cameras, broadcast cameras, big Jesus, red cameras, beta cameras, whatever it All might right. have been. So it was like kind of. It's a real melting pot. People would come down. German ski team, U.S. ski team. Um, you know, I've worked with Herman Meyer, Bodie Miller. Um, millions, of – not millions, but lots right. of lots of um, national teams coming down. Uh, Sean White, a snowboarder. Yeah, spectacular um, snowboarder. So all these all these people are starting to film, like what I was seeing in Ampuria with the mixture of skydivers. I was getting that mixture and snow sports as well. How cool is that? And then started more. Um, did the world Halley challenge and the world Halley challenge is about some of the world's most extreme skiers now that there's a free ride world tour but right um the thing about flying or jumping or skiing camera is you have to get to the zone you can't film it on the sideline so right. you have to be incredible at that sure um now so the helicopter doesn't drop us in a shoot when we're skiing you know um someone dropping dropping this gnarly untracked line i've got a i've got a sort of Kangaroo my way into right. the shoot with my tripod and camera gear. I don't have assistance and <laughs> people going, "Hey, come on, get me makeup." It's right. like I'm getting my shit in there, so everything's loaded for the helicopter. What it can take, um, and you're getting into some gnarly shit. Yeah, and also. Some scary, gnarly shit. Like the gonna, biggest thing is avalanche, really. Yeah,
0: I was actually just going to say I was watching a, a Netflix documentary, and it, the, the name of it is escaping me, but it just released, and it's got a mix of uh, uh, surfing and wingsuiting
1: and magnetic, skank. magnetic, magnetic. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet? But
0: um, it's good. It's good. But I, I remember thinking as I'm watching them film, uh, they've got uh, one uh, perspective is a guy watching this avalanche <laughs> film, you know, go past him that might be me with the skier going it's fucking ridiculous
1: yeah it's like I, I was filming the world heli challenge and it was um uh who was it very very well known very well known uh u.s free skier mm. um but anyway um he had he'd cut this face it's, it's like choosing a line and um it's showing fluidity and mm. cameras around the around the zone and i'd set myself up on this um Probably this face where I thought it was quite safe. Sure. You know, and it's like I'd made that corner. It's like it's pretty sweet. So I've got my tripod out, uh, tripod set up. I've got this big broadcast camera on the tripod. I'm out of my skis. I'm standing. I've got about a hundred foot cliff behind me. Probably wasn't ideal. Right. But I'm looking up at this face to my right. Look, is right. Oh, Ted drops and he sort of cuts across the top and releases this face. And I'm looking through the camera filming this shot as he releases the face, going, Ted's fucked. <laughs> You know, that's the first thing I basically thought of. Is right. like, it, 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 he's brown bread. Yeah. You know, it's this is ugly. Come on, Ted, and um, so he cuts his way out of there. And as I as I pull wide, I see the avalanche is actually coming for me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, even just thinking of it now, that little flush through your yeah. body of going, oh, "Fuck!" Yeah. Like, um, and it's like, shit. And I hear on the radio, they're going, avalanche, avalanche. And it's like, it felt like me had happened half an hour ago by the time they reacted to it on the radio. Sure. Just saw the snow coming towards me, like this whole face, and going i can't do anything and then i was planning my exit strategy once i got swept off the cliff um, <laughs> so thinking that there was a line of choppers um, underneath me there was also medics or ski patrol guys with dogs underneath me under that hundred foot cliff so i kind of thought through that stage while i was still filming sure um my exit strategy was i'm fucked. I'm gonna get swept off the cliff but these guys are ready to pick me up or dig right. me out hopefully right so that was kind of my attitude with get the shot because <laughs> <laughs> there's fuck all else I can do right now because I can't put my skis on and ski out I'm I'm stuck here anyway um it it turned like probably about 15 20 meters in front of me which probably sounds like a big no. Big space, but in the f- size of a whole mountain coming at you. Yeah, no. It's like, and it was a little bit lower than me, and it's like a river flying past. I felt the heat of the friction of the snow wash over me. Ah, Jesus. And I know it wasn't just fear, right? But it was like one of those moments. Was like fuck, and ah, I made the news that night. It's usually I'm um, making pictures for the news. Sure, sure. <laughs> but here was this little orange jacket on the face, and this whole avalanche coming towards this dude, and then turning, and it was like definitely one of those. I don't know. I didn't need to change my underpants. But it was like kind of right. one of those moments where you're in it and you just have to go with it.
0: Now, do you think the ability to cope with a situation like that? Because, I mean, I think anybody that's been in extreme sports, any extreme sports for any length of time, has a, um, a maybe a built-in buffer. Where it's just there's you've get this little gap of time inside your head that allows you to just go all right I'm fucked but here are my options
1: yeah I but think that's got to
0: be I, I mean uh, some I think that's something you have to have inside you to to begin with but I think that uh, um, the extreme sports thing definitely hones the ability to just go
1: all right. I think it's currency, you know, it's like, uh, you, as a pilot, you can react to things far better if you're current, the sure. same with a skydiver, same with a skier, Sure. but with the camera, you've got a lot of other elements, because you're carrying a lot of shit with mm. you, you know, and um, your battery, your backpack's full of batteries, so there's a lot of weight and stuff, so I think you, you it's the classic, there's two types of people, there's the fight or the flight, mm. and I've had, um, I've had other interesting it, uh, things happen where I've um smashed my shoulder skiing, but then skydiving I've had a total dislocation on opening. Ooh. And so once that happens, you know, you know, um hanging under your small canopy with a total dislocation, you need your hands. Yeah. Um so there's not a lot of options except go, Okay, I've got to put my shoulder back in and then I've got to um get the shit and you know you're hanging over three thousand feet over Brisbane or you know to right. was in Australia right. for Jesus. Um it was filming the pops meet there. Mm. And it was like, um it was shit. Yeah. It's like kind of, but I could have just given up. Well, I wouldn't for me, but people would right. just go, oh my God, it's too hard. Or do you just, you deal with it? Yeah. And how, hey, there's a lot of pain putting your shoulder back in, let me tell you. Can't and imagine. then when you have to reach up and release your brakes and the shoulder still wants to dislocate after you pull down on to release the brakes, then oh. you start thinking, I think I might just leg steer for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um yeah, I'm not sure how I'm going to flare this bad boy. Right. I haven't done a lot of one-armed practice, and I'm...
0: Yeah, who trains know, for
1: that? No one. You just don't.
0: Who puts both hands... Uh, in a normal jump, who puts both toggles in one hand and tries to flare out a canopy? Cornelia, maybe. Maybe. There's yeah. some badasses out there. Yeah,
1: I think so. But it's like I'm kind of... i one of them. It, it definitely uh, doesn't matter what the situation is. You never throw your hands in the air. I've skied off uh, the first time... One of the first, one of the times I broke my back was i was one a powder day. It was a it was a massive powder day, and I was like wanting to bust heaps of laps before the public turned up. Mm. Beautiful snow, Coronet Peak, Queenstown, New Zealand, and um, it was it was nice. It was the perfect day. I rocked up, thinking I'm gonna smash lines, and um, that was it. Second run, um, I hadn't scoped where I was jumping. I'd jumped there before. Um, I launched off this um, off this little hill it wasn't much but you actually traveled a lot of distance and you're like a couple of meters off the ground three meters off the ground maybe but you traveled maybe 80 90 feet mm. so it's a massive big launch and you went down but um as i launched i saw that they had cut a cat track oh. in my landing area and um, that was kind of the longest moment i knew whatever's coming up is gonna hurt yep <laughs> and what are you gonna do so the best thing you have to do is like kind of Try and land on your feet. What are you going to do? I'm not trained to land on my ass. No, you know? So no. you land on your feet. Of course, the outcome's not flash. Yeah. But so it's, I think you have to keep thinking the process of survival
0: sure although it's situations like that where the whole time slowing down when shit gets fucked is not a nice thing I mean, no, because you've got yeah. lots of time people don't seem to understand and maybe uh, that's just the, all the years of skydiving is how stretched out even just a few seconds it's can abortion. be
1: it's like oh. total um and you know nothing flashes in front of you i'm not thinking of my kids or i'm not thinking of my girlfriend or anything of that it's like it's all the things i haven't done all you're doing is thinking of how you're going to live yeah and that's it. Yeah. Um, and uh, you do that the best way you can. You know there's pain coming up. Uh, <laughs> right. That's it. You know, And that's the shittiest part is pains on – it's not like you just – Um, you know skateboarding and then next minute you've broken your wrist it's like hey probably five seconds from now this is going to life's going to change a little bit and here it comes (sighs) i get
0: those in 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 the few injuries that i've had in the sports it's it's usually uh oh here it comes this is going to suck and then it's that few minutes of adrenaline but the realization that when this pain finally arrives and it's usually late it's going to be bad as you're watching your fingertips touching your elbow because you just shattered your wrist yeah you that's
1: know. that's not kind of optimal is it no
0: no and it's that's that's when i'm not sure if if the mentality that we get from doing all the stuff that we do is a blessing or a curse
1: and i think it's it's clear thinking and it's like it's you can cope under a sort of situation, but you're not thrown into a random situation. Everything takes training. Sure. And it's that training that sort of trains your mind. Sure. It doesn't matter if you're in business or relationship or you know, training your body and health. It's right. like it's the training that gets you gets you the best best possible results.
0: Yeah, no, no, for sure. For and sure. It's
1: like uh kind of trying to make it up as you go. It's not gonna <laughs> no. you know, oh, I just might give this AFE. No, don't worry about the AFF. I'm just gonna go straight to fifteen. Yeah, right. You know, it's like you have got to train whatever you're doing, and I think what skydiving teaches you is discipline, mm. um, because uh, you're only progressing as fast as you can. Um, you, you're not you're not kind of let loose, right? You know, there's there's quite good sort of benchmarks that you've got to reach to do that, and you can cross that over in other parts of your life as well i think sure
0: and, that's actually one of the big differences between uh skydiving and base jumping is base jumping you can really attempt to exceed your ability whereas with skydiving it's it's much more regimented so um which is also one of the reasons i'm not a base jumper
1: <laughs> i think with base jumping you know you, you know some right people and you can you can jump up there and go hey sweet but it's like kind of right with with skydiving and planes involved, there's rules involved, and that's a good thing. Yes, yeah, no, you I know. completely
0: agree. I'm I'm a big fan of of rules in that particular venue that keep me safe and alive.
1: And I think with base jumping as well. And I've only done six in my life, and it was old gear and stuff. But it was like kind of you you kind of want to follow the rules base jumping as well. Sure. And, oh yeah. And who you're mixing with, you kind of that's going to set the sure. Uh, set the standard of you know being loose and base jumping's not probably the sport for you
0: no uh, no well and i've heard stories from a lot of the people that i've i've had on the podcast that are hardcore base jumpers and Scott Evers as well and they tell stories of the ones that showed up clearly not really knowing what's going on and those guys aren't
1: around anymore Airtime time is a wonderful thing and um you can get most of it out of a plane first and then hone those skills and then go base jumping absolutely for sure
0: now, is uh, you, a shitload of skiing, shitload of skydiving, uh, are those the only sports primarily that you cover, or do you go other directions as well? No,
1: it's like I love surfing, um, being like a crazy surfer. Um, our farm in New Zealand was really close to the uh, wild west coast of the North Island, mm. Port Waikato and Raglan. So it was always good um, good for that. I'm trying, trying to get more into paddle boarding, uh, just because the ocean's here and it's really accessible. Sure. And um, I love off-roading. And um, off-roading for me is like um, skiing. Um, you choose terrain. It's terrain choice, terrain management, um, and you can get pretty gnarly at it. And the sort, right. of, the sort of standard of off-roading I'm doing now is really quite it's, – it's giving me my fix. you know. I've been injured nice. the last couple of years on and off, so it's like kind of off-road, or off-roading is my go-to at the moment. Nice, nice. And then um, I love rock climbing too. Oh, and, wow. Um, rock climbing is um, – once again, it's kind of like doing four-way. Um, It's a a small little spurt of, you know, 35 seconds of um, calculation and memory and um, full-on, like a sprint, like with four-way RW. And um, so, yeah, rock climbing's been really good too, but I haven't done a lot of it in the Middle East. Mm. There's some really good rock here too. I I just don't like the snake part and the scorpion part. (laughs) Right. Because we're bloody wussies in New Zealand because we don't have snakes or scorpions. Right so you know that's freaky i was lucky i
0: started uh, um when i started uh, skydiving i became friends with a a guy skydiver by the name of kevin love who was a very active climber at the time as well Uh, and being in las vegas we had uh, red rock um, blm land literally in our backyard where there were probably close to about a thousand pre-bolted sport routes Uh, so you know 80 foot up 80 foot down of anything from a 5.6 walk up to a 5.14 d um, so well below and then well above my abilities. So it was great to be able to go out there with climbers that were better than me, that would push me to do shit that I probably shouldn't be doing, but I'm with someone that knows what's well, going
1: the on. The nice and, thing about sports climbing as well is you're only able to do what you can. Exactly. You know, you, you're never going to do a 21 if you can only do a 17. You're sure. not going to find yourself. You, you just It's not physically possible.
0: No, no, which is fantastic. So
1: it's it's good, and I like the risk element of – you no, know, you get it. It's that moment of exit off the rock, when right, you fuck up, right. you know. And it's like, oh, is that gonna hold? Yeah. It's like, you know, that cutaway reserve ride. Is sure. It, it's that feeling of just that. How's the pack job on my reserve? Right. You know, and um not that I'm, you know, we we love our gear. Sure. So it's, but that's the same with ropes and clips on yes. a rock. You know, yes. Who did the bolt on that sports car? Exactly. Exactly. So you start thinking. But you don't want to be thinking about that while you're climbing because it's going to fuck it up. You
0: know, you know it's funny because uh, I would get a, a dramatically bigger buzz off of uh, climbing and the prospect of falling than I would off a, a normal everyday skydive. Um, and it, it's a good uh, um, analogy to use to the cut out, cutaway reserve because it's very much like that. But it's every single time I was on the rock.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I went out and uh, Kevin uh, as well was teaching me how to lead. Uh, And I was able to lead stuff without a fall that I was having a hard time getting up top roping. And he's like, that's completely backwards. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm terrified to fall (laughs) when I'm leading. So I just, I ended up climbing better, not worse. But I think it was because when I was top roping, I was willing to take more risks or maybe rush a little bit more or something like that. But the intensity level for climbing was always like over the top for me.
1: Yeah, I think it, it's a good alternative, but um, like in Wanaka, once it it's probably like in Vegas where you've got all those bolted, uh, bolted options, and um, there's shitloads of it, and it's kind of like living at a surf beach and not going surfing, mm. rock climbing in Wanaka. So it was good, but you know when you're jumping and it's blue skies, you don't have time to go rock climbing. So sure. when I finished. Um, uh, you know life as a professional skydiver like seven days a week looking at the weather every morning going am i working today right um and then i started taking up other things as well i love sailing as well my plan is to leave the middle east in a boat and sail around the mid nice. um, just surf spots and um photography sports so nice that's it
0: now do you have other uh aspirations in regard to taking your photography different directions besides just the snow skiing and the skydiving type yeah, stuff
1: Well, actually there's there's new pictures in my head that i want to achieve skydiving and so you I've been battling injury last couple of years, mm. and so you know, coming out of summer here, I'll, I'll be more radical and get m- more into some filming projects I've got in my head. Nice, but um, yeah, this uh, I, I dream of making a gardening TV show. <laughs> <laughs> And that's because uh, uh you know i love gardening and um an extreme gardening show and that's kind of that's one of my things of going yeah fuck yeah that would be really cool sounds really weird but wait till you see it it's going to be amazing
0: that's funny <laughs> you know it's it's uh it, i always find endless amounts of entertainment and talking to different jumpers and the things that they enjoy outside of skydiving because there's such a, a normal picture painted of a skydiver that we must love all this extreme shit. And if we're not jumping out of airplanes, we must be doing something else crazy. And then you'll sit and talk to someone and find out that Joe Blow loves to crochet. You
1: yeah, know, no, or, don't do that. But, you know, I but, know what you mean. Yeah, yeah it's
0: and like... it's it's always so cool to find out, oh, that's… There's a
1: plan B and a plan C and mm-hmm. there's all this other stuff that, you know, it's… When I was young, uh, as a young skydiver every moment of my time and it's like that with anyone learning the sport now it's like it consumes you it's like every moment where am i going to get my next jump right when is it how's the weather can i jump can i jump When i'm there i'm there i'm there i'm there and you're doing you know if, if it's one jump a weekend it's taken all weekend just to get that because the weather holds or whatever or if it's 10 jumps a day right you're there for it you're ready you know you've got you've got jump tickets you've got you're ready to go <laughs> right right and then then monday to friday you're going okay when can i get back to the drop zone it's like kind of and snow was like that for me. Sure, uh, surfing was like that for me. And I'm I'm kind of fortunate because I've looked for other adventures as well. Right, because when it's downtime and you are injured from skiing, and all my injuries have been skiing, none skydiving, <laughs> except for that <laughs> opening with the shoulders. like right. and that wasn't even that wasn't even from skydiving. That was a ski accident. So, <laughs> you know. Um, that's it. Skydiving has been... you are far from the ground. You can't get hurt. Yeah. Exactly. You know, it's like if you're close to the ground. Yeah, like, I know. Well, I, I mean, you and like,
0: I, I think we have mutual friends that have, uh, have managed to fuck themselves up uh, towards the tail end of skydives every once in a yeah,
1: while. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you want to respect the ground when you get close to it. Mm. I can take it easy, but... um You know, technology's changed, and that's. it doesn't matter if we're skiing or filming or or skydiving. Technology's always evolving and making us be able to perform better. Sure. But it comes back to we still have to be prepared for it. You know, technology's not going to save our ass. No. My my Jeep off-road is going to roll on a semi-flat if I'm doing something bad or the wheels come off or the tire comes off the rim. Sure, sure. So you can't just say oh i'm good at it because of the gear you've got to be sort of mindful of training and getting i mean the
0: innovation and technology absolutely can help i mean you went from round parachutes to square parachutes that's a huge deal uh that being said that same innovation and technology is what switched us from stilettos that were killing a bunch of people to you know basically airplanes without engines that can go as fast as a fucking plane um so in that respect technology is fucking people up too uh, so yeah it's it's very much a uh you can't lay it all on the gear it it, it boils down to ability and training and currency
1: yeah, it, it's stuff. like the triangle it's like the the passion for the sport the gear for the sport and the training for the sport all come together whatever yeah. the sport you're into and it, it fruits goodness, oh, yeah. you know, and um, there's always respect. Oh yeah, well, because, it's like the uh, learning
0: suits with the the wing suits, you know. I mean, when they first started out, it didn't really do all that much. It was just kind of a cool thing that Patrick and a few of the guys were doing, and now, I mean, holy shit! Yeah, um, it's, but it's
1: phenomenal, and uh, and I think why it's why it looks so good as well, why it's caught on so well is. The public, the non skydiving flying people can understand Can look it. at it and go, "Wow, you can do that!" And it's like, "Well, actually, look at what you can do free flying." Yes, you know, you can. You've got more shit going on free flying. Yep, and you, and for me, always jumping a wingsuit with cameras, failing. You know, you're you're locked in. You're not as free right. as say just going out free flying. Sure. Well, it's
0: one of the reasons that I think that uh, um, Sky Surfing had a very limited shelf life in regard to the general public and wasn't in the X Games for more than a few years because people, the general public, A, couldn't understand what they were really watching. Uh, and B, had to watch a TV even if they went to the event. So it didn't make sense to them, which is one of the reasons that swooping now is uh, such a it's- wonderful hope for skydiving in regard to the general public and potentially maybe the Olympics and such. Is because people can see it, and even if, you know, if they don't understand it, Sitting, seeing somebody slam into the pond and flip around and then get up and wave—they love that shit, you know. But sky surfing just didn't make sense to people.
1: Yeah, I think, it, and it was very prohibitive as well. And only oh, yeah. a small, um, minuscule of people. And it, especially, I, I think, out of all the um, filming I've done in the sky, most extreme um, to film because um, you know I've jumped with um, freestylists and. I don't mind getting hit in the face with your foot, right? Um, and, but you know when that board's spinning in front of you, it's it's uh, and you're close. Oh yeah. Um, and the um, the speed, uh, the transition from fast fall rate to slow fall rate is the most radical out of any. Oh, it's insane. Uh, any. Uh, skydiving you can do it's insane and so keeping up with that and understanding and having that but once again it was one of the only um, sports in the world that the cameraman was part of the team sure whereas four way and everyone the cameraman can swap out but with um, sky surfing and freestyle like with Marco Manor and Bruno Broken when they went to the world meet and did that amazing stuff back then it was like kind of going that is amazing because oh, yeah. it's first time that a camera is part of a sports team that's being judged on camera, being judged on moves, and it's being judged on what the athlete's doing. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was, that was amazing because it, it was like all of a sudden – yeah, it's it's a team, those oh, yeah. two. And lucky, I was on the Spanish skydiving team for two years as a Kiwi, which is fucked up. <laughs> right. But Because I was a camera flyer, and there's not a lot of camera flyers were filming sky surfing. Sure.
0: That's actually how I, I became a decent camera flyer in the first place, was I was shooting video, uh, again, like most jumpers, just to shoot video. Uh, get some jumps in. And then I started shooting tandem video, but I became uh, good friends when I worked in the wind tunnel in Las Vegas with uh, an instructor that worked there as well, a lady by the name of Mary Tornamasi, And she was a sky surfer in the tunnel. Uh, So she was learning how to fly that board using um, the old sit suits uh, and that board in the tunnel. And I was becoming this camera flyer. So we thought, well, fuck it, let's try it. And ended up going as far as the U.S. net. In fact, that's her right there. Uh, over Lake Elsinore, and uh, uh, trying to come up and uh, copy the uh, the famous move that Rob Harris and Joe Jennings did, which was the tidy bowl in the hole. Rob Harris on his head spinning one way and Joe on his back carving the other way around. Flipping onto your back uh, when you haven't learned how to do something like that in a wingsuit next to somebody that's spinning a chunk of fucking pine in front of your face is an intimidating thing.
1: Yeah, it's like <laughs> you get, get hit by that, it's um, full on. And it's probably the most scariest thing I've ever watched is yeah. – um, premature uh, deployment or just being a lazy deployment on a stand-up and then um watching that pilot shoot go in between his legs and then the bag wrapped around his legs still in a perfect stand-up and me sitting there in front of him going uh what am i going to do here and this is uh, that was probably the most ugly thing i've seen because i could just see you know like my skiing off a cliff scenario of going it's gonna hurt soon, but for this one, it's it's not a good outcome. So, oh yeah. Well, luckily that's... he kept us cool and he just unthreaded the bag and stuff and threw it off. And I was like, dude, the coolest thing I've ever seen. That's when that uh,
0: shit slowing down is not necessarily a good thing because you're sitting here watching this horror unfold in it's front of your eyes, rank. going. All right, I can think of 862 ways this is going to go really fucking bad, and there's only one way it's going to go good, but how cool is it you're watching him pull out that one way?
1: Yeah, that was that was incredible. I mean, he had a, a nasty mail, and we just about had a canopy collision afterwards, but it was like kind of, because <laughs> I kind of stayed around too long to see if I could do something, but, right. um, you know, that, it, it, it's still, video is still in my head. Yeah. Um, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy.
0: That's that was always the toughest uh, thing too when I was learning how to do that or anything shooting video and I'm sure you may be the same you're hoping and obviously once you get to a level you know whether or not you got the shot but there's that moment that you're like please tell me I had the camera on for that tell me there's not a mile that way tell me something didn't go wrong I was looking the right way tell me that camera is going to show me I think,
1: um, I think for me it's like the reserve cutaway scenario it's like I, I depend on my gear and I know it's working mm. and it's uh, it's the very rare occasion where you go oh i didn't put film in <laughs> but you know it's not that i didn't put a i didn't put an sd card in it's like it's the chances are you know you're you're looking after your gear you're looking after your reserve right. you're looking after your main you look after your camera gear the sure. same so um and it's the same if i'm shooting uh portraits of someone um or if i'm shooting something extreme it's like i know i've got the shot as soon as i push the shutter nice i'm not going oh I'm a, i better fire off seven frames a second just in case i right. get a good shot it's like I came up through a film background and film was really expensive mm. and if I'm shooting skiing or if I'm shooting skydiving, it was like I had 24 exposures or 36 if I had a bigger budget, Sure. but usually it was 24 slide if I was using it for publicity and that was 100 bucks that I was yeah. chalking out on top of the jump price and stuff, so it's was like kind of going, if I'm shooting, I've, every shot's got to count, so you've got to rely on your gear sure. and, uh, and especially camera gear and stuff. And you know, you're putting it in some pretty messed up situations and sure. extreme cold in the Middle East, extreme heat, humidity, and um, in the sky, you've got lots of stuff going on. You know, wow. what it's like, I mean, so, it's
0: well, and but you coming from the photography background, me coming from none, I was I fucked it up a lot more gear wise than I'm sure you ever have.
1: Um, I think it's experimenting and making sure it's it's not about the gear either. With uh, filming, you know, I can make something look wicked on my phone. I wouldn't post it on my Instagram my phone stuff because it's like I like showing my photo stuff on it. Sure. But it's like kind of – it's irrelevant, the gear that you've got to make the shot. It's a it's a combination of light and action or the people or the subject that you've got on it. So people go, oh, yeah, that's a nice shot. What camera are you using? That really fucks me off. It's not like, hey, that's a knife, nice novel. <laughs> what pencil did you use? Right. You know, it's right. like kind of going just because you've got a pencil doesn't mean you can write a novel. Sure. So, and that's the same with gear. It's like gear is just a tool. It's like your car or your hammer if you're a builder or your computer if you're an editor. Right. You know, you, the computer doesn't do the editing, you do.
0: I often wondered. So, I, I was lucky enough last year to go and I did the hike to Everest Base Camp. And I took a decent camera and I took my phone. And out of convenience, I ended up almost. Exclusively using my fucking phone because it was there all the time, and I got good pictures. They weren't spectacular, but they were good. But you're going up and working your ass off to take these amazing pictures with this high end equipment. Does it piss you off a little bit that some of the shit equipment now is giving people no, access to stuff? that I,
1: I think it's good. Everyone's got a story to tell, and I think that's the amazing thing about social media. You mm. know, I used to have to fight. To, I've made 150 TV shows of my own TV show, um, mm. Freeze wow. TV. It was like all about. Um, uh, New Zealanders, Australians around the planet—it didn't matter if they were ice climbing, dog sledding, uh, base jumping, paraponting, skiing, snowboarding, whatever. It was all about that sort of genre of television. It was mm. quite uh, quite popular in New Zealand, Australia, played on in flight uh, in-flight entertainment and stuff. But nice. it's not about um, it's not about the equipment. And with phones, the great thing is more people can tell a story. Now I had to go through a whole channel manager and bullshit to get my stories out on TV. Now, people can get really cool stories out on, like, look at our setup here. We can sure. get a great voice out. We can get great um, stories out. So I think the phone is good because there's lots of stories to tell. I don't see it as a as competition to me because everyone's got their own story to tell. Sure. I see it as um, a great way of sharing um, visuals. And I, I learned somewhere it's like 96% or out of all of our senses, 96% is visual. I'd agree and with that. And the other 4% is the taste, the feel. Etc. Sure, but we've only become um, very in tune with our technology in the last fifty years. Or you think go back to, say, um, sharing stories three hundred years ago. How would your family have shared a story? Now you would have only shared a story if you were if you were from a rich family because you could afford to go to the theatre or you saw some street performance. Sure, or an orchestra. But that's a, such a small amount of population. Our, throw back a hundred years and we we got into film, and so you pay. To go see the cinema, you got to see other people's stories in the cinema. Fast forward, we came to TV 50 years ago. Mm. Now, this acceleration for visual entertainment has gone really fast. And like in the last, what is it, 20 years? Um, YouTube came along in 2005. Mm. I was making stuff online in 98, and people were going, oh, my God, um, can I play that on my computer? Hmm. And it's like, yeah, fuck, play it on your computer. Here's a little download QuickTime. It's free. Right. I'd compress in the little skydive movie or the little um, ski movie and say, download the software. It's free. And then you can play this QuickTime movie. Oh, my computer. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> and they never really bought into it. Right. It wasn't until YouTube came along in 2005 and went… Oh my god! Did you see that cat flush the toilet? And it's like, what the (laughs) fuck? You know, I've been doing this for seven years, and it's like, ah. So anyway, people can tell stories a lot easier now. You get really cool channels on YouTube. Sure. Um, Like I I follow some, um, some of my um, you know inspirational photographers or filmmakers or um, flyers or you know they're all there. Sure. So there's so many more stories, and I think the problem is what you should have done with your camera when you're up at the base camp. Is actually, fucking have it out. Right? I bet you had it in a camera bag. I did. You know, and you don't, don't go skydiving with your camera in your camera right. bag, do you? You got to fucking have it on your helmet. <laughs> right. So I think you know. My rule is when I'm doing extreme sports, I don't pack my shit away. I right. have it out because right. I see stuff all the time. Right. Now it's easy because you're you know doing selfies on your phone. Right. Get, oh, you get phone stuff, but if your camera was out, you would have taken the shot.
0: Oh, no doubt. Well, and it's funny because I was supposed to go back uh, November this year, and of course, uh, um, the fucking coronavirus has put a kibosh on a lot of travel. Uh, So that won't be happening this year, maybe next year. But I got all that out of my way. So that was the thing with that particular trip is it it was such a bucket list thing for me that every five steps I saw another picture I wanted to take. And the phone was there for music for this and that and the other. And so it's just click and walk and then click and literally every step of the way. Now I would go back with a nice camera and a thought.
1: Make it make it accessible make it easy don't you don't need the shit you don't need like five lenses or anything like i have rules when i'm traveling to a city sometimes i'll only have uh, one lens on a body and because it makes me shoot stuff, and so I don't go, "Oh, what lens should I have?" or stuff. I'll have a fifty mil one point two or one point four on the front. And
0: now, with that, when you're doing something like that, does that automatically put you in the mindset of I'm looking to uh, compose an image with the lens I know I've got on my camera? Do you just automatically kind of no, snap I, into that mindset?
1: I, I think what I like, I'll, I'll see stuff and it's it's already set up for that for that angle of lens, right. and yeah. i'll see stuff and i'll make it work with that if if it's too far away i'll get close you know and i, I otherwise my favorite lens is 7200 2.8 it's fantastic throw that sure. on and you know when we're shooting um action shots or portrait shots or whatever wide ver- or it's got a wide action shots it's like kind of it, it's my favorite lens it's fast, but it's heaviest it's heavy as hell you know um, traveling with that you know, some some jobs, and especially if I've got a broadcast camera, I'm carrying like sneaking on, not probably now I won't. Um, sneaking on is carry on because you've got all your lithium batteries you can't put on your luggage. I've got about 18 kilos of carry on. Sure. And that's just the basics. And so, if my, you know, and so I've got um, cords and power leads and rechargers and stuff that are in a bag. So, you know, um, traveling with camera ki- equipment is a pain in the ass. Mm. So you want to keep it as simple as possible make sure you've got enough battery and card space and one lens, you know, sure. and keep it simple and carry it out. you know. It's like, well, and
0: especially with the stuff that you're doing, I mean, my Lord, especially with the locations that you're going to, and you're talking about being dropped in by helicopter for some of this stuff. I mean, this is not where you can just dig into the, you know, the bag in the trunk. Oh, can to you,
1: get... can you bring this up from the car? Right. It's like, right. you know, and you know, those batteries got to last a day. And on, on some cameras, those batteries are quite heavy, heavy duty. The lithium mm. big, um, banks are, are quite heavy-duty. Technology has become more friendly. Battery is still um, pretty hungry, especially if you're in a cold environment. Yeah, I was like going to say, so a lot of the stuff like that you're doing in 20. the cold, now you got
0: to take, uh, what, double the amount of batteries for, you, you know. You
1: kind of just wear it as underwear, and that keeps it nice and <laughs> I'm wearing it now, <laughs> nice nice that's <laughs> well, good
0: I, when i did the when I did the base camp hike, it was great because you'd get to you know you'd hike from village to village and uh, um, it'd have access to be able to plug shit in uh, and you've got the portable battery to charge as well, but I mean everything I had read was like where you're going, you need to keep these batteries warmer than you need to keep yourself
1: <laughs> yeah it's like they you know batteries don't last um well in cold, but you know it's it's about not making it a hassle, so you get in and tell the story opposed to using equipment as an excuse not to tell the story mm. so I think it's great. I've taught filmmaking in um in university of New Zealand and it's like about I don't give a shit if you've got a camera or you've got the latest uh, Canon or Sony or whatever. It's like it's about telling the stories. Sure. And it's the motion, it's the vision, it's the it's the feel that goes with that motion to tell the story. That is the impact. Now, sure. If you look at something on YouTube, people aren't going. Ah, oh, but what camera was that filmed on? <laughs> no. Uh, it's like if the story is is um, powerful and the pictures stand up and are strong, and it's got enough to keep you engaged. Sure. Then you're along for the ride. You know, I I made my first TV show was um, was kind of like um, it was by accident, really. I I kind of wanted to make content for a local ski field in Wanaka, and I wanted to know if I could make 40 minutes, or like around about 40 minutes of content a week. I had the stand-up show. I I took the bar for a Tuesday night because it was dead empty, and I said I'll fill the bar up, got all these sponsors on board. Um, started um, shooting on both mountains, promoting the mountains, got sponsors, um, made a, a party night. People would come along, all of a sudden their bar's full. And I started showing my stories um, mm. from the week before in this bar. And it was really good because you got a really good reaction of if the stories were cool. Sure. Um, or if, it, you know, and plus acoustics are really bad. So the story, the pictures had to tell the story. Sure. And um, from there, it became a TV show. That's awesome. But I really got a, a really good feel of um, what worked with pictures, how, sure. how the speed, the the timing, and um, it was interesting because I. My skydiving career, when I went back to New Zealand, I started doing tandems. What the fuck? And I was like, kind of, because the drop zone was really small. And it's like, you can have a job, but you're going to have to do some tandems. And right. I was like, kind of, oh my God. But, you know, a couple of nights a week, I'd work in the local cinema as a projectionist. And I got to study film through these, you know, watching Lord of the Rings and seeing right. it filmed in my backyard and then sure. projecting it for 25 times. You started to see shots and how things work. So. Wow. Yeah, it's like storytelling is really important. It doesn't matter if it's a still image or a motion, if it's skydiving, skiing, whatever. It's the strength of the image and how you uh, yeah so, now is
0: still photography still your first love though i mean is that if you had to fall back on anything well you
1: know i think i um, still photography is pure it's like um mm. with um I, I was really fortunate when i left school i worked with a very i didn't even know he was famous he was just this old funny guy hmm. and um, he had been behind the iron curtain and um, he'd made this these amazing images and he was really old you know he was probably in his well, for me as a young 16 year old he was like ancient he was sure. as old as my grandfather <laughs> and um, but his his images were really powerful and his name is Brian Brake mm. and um, i i didn't realize how important he was until i saw his exhibition in the new zealand museum mm. and it was like oh i printed all that i worked with them on those and it was like it was quite amazing sure but what was the question again? Just
0: which, uh, if you had to fall back on one, would it be printed? Uh, so
1: or? photography photography is really strong. And I think anyone who gets into motion with a, a still background is um, stronger than anyone who just picks up a video mm. and camera and puts it on a tripod and presses record. Sure. Because video is made 25 pictures per second. Right. And it's like if you can compose and capture the light. And photography and film is all about light. Sure. Um, film is – you get the acoustic part and the movement part and all these other cool elements that come into it. But photography is, is strong. Sure. But, you know, between the two, if I had a choice, I'd probably ease. I like – I hate edits mm. <laughs> uh, in both. And right. with um, with video, it's like, oh, my God, it takes so long sometimes on you – know, if you work on a documentary or even sure. if you're directing an edit, you know, it's like kind of – watching paint dry you go right. over and over and over and over it or for a tv show would make 30 minutes a week sure and i'd direct the edit have an editor but by the time you 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 printed it out and sent it off to broadcast no fucking way i wanted to watch it on tv right, you know, right. Kind of going oh but you know it's the difference when you have something strong on your wall and you look up at it and you go like i love your tree shot right um, you know you there's there's light there's motion there's movement in trees sure and it's like, wow, that's, that's really strong.
0: And that, uh, um, that kind of photography always spoke to me as well. One of my favorite photographers ever was Ansel Adams. Yeah, me too. Um, and it was just this – I'm a huge black and white fan. Um, most times I prefer black and white over color just because I think it's more dramatic for me. Um that being said, I love amazing color shots. His,
1: his book was like my Bible when I was a young. Oh. a young, you know, I was involved in photography since I was twelve. Mm. Local yacht club, taking photos of the start. But Ansel Adams, he spoke like his mountains. I think it, he, because he, um, my Instagram is called Mountain Lightbox. So it's the strength is all about mountains and, mm. the, and the place on earth and. Uh, you know they can't always be there but Ansel Adams with the zone system and the strength and his light and his mountains he, he still speaks to me oh, as yeah. far as his strength and his power well and I'm
0: also a huge fan of, of really contrasting photographs as well and that was him as well as you'd see these amazing contrasts between light and dark and just such spectacular and he's shooting in the most amazing places ever you know? I
1: think if he shot in the supermarket he'd still make it look good <laughs> and that's the difference between um, someone who sees images and, and light sure. like um, he did. Um, it's strength of capturing light and contrast, sure. and and what the subject is, or how you focus on that subject. Mm. Now, and he is still he's still a god in photography. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. he's like.
0: Well, now we spoke about. Uh, you spoke briefly about uh, uh, editing and video and stuff uh, as a photographer. I know that some people have a real issue with editing in uh, still photographs, Photoshop art. It's more of an artistic thing than a photography thing. Do you have a, any opinion on that? You no,
1: know, it's like um, I, I, my opinion would be there's no rules. Mm, and, good. and and it's the same with music. Oh, my God, that was used as a synthesizer. He didn't actually play a piano. Who gives a fuck? Sure. You know, It's like how did you hear it? Did it sure. sound good? Okay, if you look at it. Um, does it matter if there's something like if that image speaks to you and it's like really huge impact, who gives a fuck how it was made? It's like going, it doesn't even matter what camera you use. Sure. Uh, did you Photoshop that? It's right. like, okay, well maybe they did or maybe they didn't. Did you like it? But did you like the shot? <laughs> right. And I think I think um, the problem is I think people think they can take a shit shot and throw it into Photoshop and make it better. Right. You can't take shit and polish it and make it look good. Right. You know it. Just gotta, there's well, you've got to have strength you 've got to have strength now like for me lightroom is like my dark room. I had a life in a dark room um, as a young photographer Dark rooms were it's a dark place in there. it's, like, <laughs> it's crazy it's like um they're not it's it 's a weird environment I bet working in the dark all day but you know, we had a larger we'd expose it, and this is Ansel Adams' scenario. It's like depending on the contrast of paper or the fiber in the paper, depends on the, um, the, the projector or how long you expose it for. There's so many elements that you come through. Taking the photograph is one part, and then mm. how you expose it onto paper is another. Oh, yeah. Now, that's electronic now. You know, we can do that in Lightroom. So I'm shooting a, uh, an image raw. Um, so I'm not worrying about the color of light I'm capturing I know that the color is what I want to capture but all the information's there what I do in the darkroom or the electronic darkroom now is I, like I'll sharpen it a little bit more or I'll get rid of grain or I'll um, I'll grad the sky to get rid of the brightness or sure. just simple stuff that I would have done in the darkroom anyway mm. so people go oh, but that's Photoshop it's like fuck you need to learn about dark rooms buddy
0: well that's what you somebody know. else had told me as well they're like uh, the darkroom simply was Photoshop before
1: there was Photoshop it wasn't really Photoshop it's just it's it's a professional print. That's sure. what happens with a professional print behind the scenes. It's like some elements of the print you can't capture on film like this part of the image is really bright. Mm. Now the only way to get rid of that is like to expose for that bright part of the image and then hold back the light on this part of the paper sure. when you want to brighten that part. Well and that's to, its
0: own know. art form. I mean you can make uh, one photograph look how many different ways just by manipulating in the dark room.
1: No, I don't think it's a bit manipulation. I think it's enhanced. There you go. <laughs> Wrong word. Wrong <laughs> word, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's like kind of going, oh, I made this music on my phone. I Like, I love making beats on my phone. My kids um, play music, and they're both like crazy musicians. They're both crazy photographers. Mm. And like, um, I think we, they've got... We have now such a great sort of array of tools that we can utilize to craft our, our sure. vision of whatever it is. So there's no rules. It's like whatever you dream up, you can have. And it's no black and white of, oh my God, he, he sharpened that a bit too. You know? <laughs> right. Did you sharpen that in the dark room? It's like, right off well, I've if got you a, don't like it don't don't you know buy it for sure well, I've got
0: a good buddy that's an architectural photographer in uh, Las Vegas and he doesn't like heavily contrasted images I do um, but he's like well, yeah if you like it go for it because I'll play around with Photoshop all the time and and having spent so much time in skydiving of course you've got God knows how many images of this jumper that jump or the other and you end up tweaking it in Photoshop over I the years. All on and,
1: film I have to scan them first it's right like, oh, well,
0: that's me in videos I've got 78 high i8 and 120 or 130 mini dv
1: tapes throw them down to drives as soon as you can before that magnetic stuff starts dissolving
0: well believe me i've been telling myself for i don't know how many years now i need to get a machine that i can convert it or find a company that'll do it cheap because i've got so damn many of them so uh but one of these days one of these days now um in regard to your videos in regard to the tv shows and in regard to any image stuff how do people find your stuff
1: uh, so I've got an Instagram account called Mountain Lightbox. Yeah, go on there and uh, like it up and uh, check it out. It's more of my passion stuff on there. My my work stuff in the Middle East is based around time lapse. Okay. So we do uh, long form time lapse of buildings growing out of the sand, mm. and um, that stuff's been on that Geo and um, documentary channel and things where you see mega structures growing. That's, nice. That's the business. And it's a little bit different to skydiving stuff. And the other stuff is my passion projects, which is Mountain Lightbox. Awesome. And, um, yeah, I think I've got to put more humans on there because there's a lot of landscapes in action. There will be a lot more lot more stuff coming on there. So Awesome,
0: awesome. So yeah. Mountain Lightbox is where they check it out, and you're going to be back in the air soon. Jump in, You said you've got some ideas for, for skydiving projects. Anything you want to allude to, uh, or is it all kind of secret I,
1: stuff? No, it's not It's not really secret. Like I look at stuff that I've shot a long time ago, and I look at stuff now. And, and what, like I said before, some people are just wearing cameras. They're not flying cameras. And there's a small few that are focusing on the art of flight, and right. and that's that's my passion. That's what I really want. And there's such um, there's such a melting pot of cool humans around to go and tell stories of. And yeah, that's that's going to be my focus. Awesome. And I think technology has changed in my favour. It's become a little bit smaller. I mean, good <laughs> glass is really still heavy. Sure. Um, I've got lots of weird shapes in my neck and back now from jumping cameras so much. Yep. <sighs> and uh, skiing and crashing and things. And so. Um, I just want to be. I'm. I'm, I'm not really a GoPro jumper. I, I'd much rather set up a really nice camera and shoot. Right. Um, shoot what I need to shoot. But yeah, it's there's there's still lots of stories to tell. Awesome. And, and I'm seeing there's a massive hole for storytelling and flight and things. And so. Yeah, that's my that's my next next adventure.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm going to look forward to, to checking it out, and we'll get you back in the hot seat when uh, this is all done, and you can tell us about it. So, Mountain Light Box for passion projects. Keep an eye out for all the other crazy shit you've done. Uh, TV shows that you had in New Zealand. Is there still ways to find that stuff?
1: No, you know this is before I wanted to put stuff online. I was getting over a million something views per episode, so it's like, why the fuck would I want to put it online and you know try and be a <laughs> YouTube? Or, right. You know that wasn't even that wasn't even around when I started the show. So I need to digitize that and get that stuff online. Yeah, man,
0: because there'll be a draw for it. That's, for sure. That's
1: crazy. Because, you know, the, the nice thing about um, what I've done is the people that you meet. Mm. And it's the locations and the people you meet and the passion that they have within those locations. Sure. It doesn't matter if they're an ice climber or, um, you know, a crazy, a crazy ca- uh, pond sweeper. Yeah. You know, it's like there's so many stories out there. Yeah, for sure. And there's so many people with passion and it's just like kind of pressing record and, and capturing a slice of that because as soon as you press record, it's history. Yep. And, you know, the the, the path always changes. And so, yeah, it's good to sort of take a snapshot of history.
0: That's kind of one of the reasons that I started and still really enjoy doing the podcast is uh, um, as much as I hope other people enjoy it. At the end of the day, this is for me when I'm a little old man to come back and listen to all the cool conversations with people that were doing their thing, following their passions and following their dreams. And I get to kind of be a small part of every little bit of that, which is a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great way to tell stories. Yeah. And you know, we've always sat around that campfire and told stories. Yeah. And or or got together or had a few wines and gone, Hey, what is, you know, but it's actually it's actually putting it down because we're not the, the journey isn't forever for this part of the journey sure and there's other people that can pick up and go oh actually that bit's really cool I yeah. mean there was a big influence when, when I started skydiving the nice thing about the sport was there's such an eclectic mix of different backgrounds right. you know from the mega wealthy to the bums and I was the bum part you right, know going right. where am I going to get my next skydiver right. but there was these little moments of inspiration or I like a bit of that or I like a bit of that and you know, it was a real melting pot of goodness sure and so Skydiving has always been my fuel. It's always been my, you know, uh, and sometimes I go for years without doing it. But it's like, you know, I started in 1984, 1986, I got into it. Yep. So it's like, I've still got lots of t- lots of time to go, you know.
0: Oh, I'm right there with you, too. I'm uh, The biggest uh, uh, draw, too, and what's kept me in the sport has been the community, not the, the jumping itself or, for me, the flying itself. I've been doing both for a very long time, and my uh, desire may wane to jump for a while, or maybe I'm not into flying right now for a while, but I always have those friends that are tied to the sport, and they always will be. And that draw is always there. That yeah, community is always
1: uh, there. And that, that's, that's crossed over to other flight things for me, too, because what I haven't mentioned is, like, um, I've really focused on air-to-air photography. Mm. And my specialty has been uh, World War I, World War II aircraft. Oh, wow. And so when you see those, it's like, you know, in free fall you see your mate, you know, and you, those visions you see. But when I'm sitting in an open air, uh, open door of a, um, a plane with my legs in the breeze and I've got my cameras in at this, um, you know, P-51 Mustang or a Spitfire comes up and four mates on me. Sure. And I give them the hand signal to back the fuck up or to come closer. It's like going... Who the fuck sees this shit? This right. is incredible. Right. You know, and it's like kind of um those visions uh you know, those those documentaries are made around flying. It's like, wow, that's um and Scott haven't got me to that that sure. moment. sure. Um, you know, I love climbing out of helicopters and filming and not necessarily jumping, I have to land sometimes. Sure. You know? so, so these are landings. I have to come down and land in these planes, which is really weird. Yeah. Because the pilots are really
0: fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm the first one to agree. Everybody always uh, jokes around. Why would you jump out of a perfectly it's like good airplane? i them land. Yeah, and you know, like I, I know those planes and I know the pilots. <laughs> That's why I, I just, jump just
1: like, look after yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, Mountain Lightbox. Yeah, check it out.
1: Mount, Mountain Lightbox.
0: Instagram Mountain Lightbox. Check it out, like it, follow it, and we'll check back with you when you've got the next adventure
1: down. Yeah, really nice talking to you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much. Peace. Yep, there you go. Another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, uh, coming from you as always, brought to you in association with the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's right, blueskiesmagazine.com. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine, get all the cool swag. be able to read amazing articles from fantastic people see spectacular photographs buy all the cool shit uh also You can head to thefuckingpilot.net. That's where you find me. Uh, Both the books that I've written, the uh, fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper, uh, both still available in print and digital and almost done with the audio. Also, liquid sky, liquidskymask.com is where you're going to want to go. Buy yourself a mask. They're going to donate a mask. It's fucking cool. Again, thanks for coming. We'll see you next time around.